This episode is brought to you by the Male Gaze Travel Edition. All your life, you've come to expect the male gaze to be there, connecting you to a constant masculine heterosexual perspective that presents and represents you as a sexual object. But what about when you're in a remote location, camping, or in a hotel room? With no one else around, how can you experience the voyeurism and fetishization that you've come to take for granted? Welcome to the Male Gaze Travel Edition, a small constantly recording video camera that uses AI technology to stay constantly focused on you. And get this, with a certified 97.4% of background agency completely filtered out. Now, wherever you go, at all times, you can feel secure knowing that your primary identity as a totem of desire will be properly and accurately registered. Don't thank me, thank the Male Gaze Travel Edition. And thank you, the Male Gaze Travel Edition, for sponsoring the Rereading Wolf podcast. This episode is brought to you by the support of generous listeners just like you. You can learn how to be one of them at patreon.com slash rereadingwolf. And thank you, listener patrons, for supporting the Rereading Wolf podcast. Warning. The following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40-year-old book, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story. Welcome to Rereading Wolf. We don't pretend that this is the first time you and we have read these books. We want to understand them in as much detail as possible, and that means considering the works as a whole. Hi, I'm James Wynn. And I'm Craig Brewer. This episode is a very special conversation we had, and just a quick technical note, we had some problems with the usual way that we try to record that makes everything a little easier and smoother and just better sounding. So for this time, we had to use Zoom, and I may be the only one that cares because I'm a nerd about stuff like this, but there's a little bit more fuzz, and there's definitely some crosstalk that we couldn't really clean up this time. But the important thing was the conversation, and we got all of it. So here we go. Hello, everybody. So this is a very, very special episode. Today, uh, we brought on some experts. We have Joan Gordon, who uh, we interviewed regarding the book of the new son and Gene Wolfe's legacy way back in 2019. Joan Gordon literally wrote the book on Gene Wolfe, the first book, I think, in 1986 for Starmont House. Uh, the title is Gene Wolfe. It's not confusing. She also wrote the introduction to Easton Press's edition of Claw the Conciliator. Uh, she's written several articles for the New York Review of Science Fiction, including some on Gene Wolfe's works. So uh, let's see, most recently, I think you did something on Wolfe's novella, Memorare. Memorare. <laughs> yeah, so welcome. Welcome back, Joan Gordon. And uh, unless I heard you were retired from teaching. I'm still an editor at Science Fiction Studies, the journal. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming back, Joan. Also, Diana Lambert, who uh, we interviewed for a reader interview number two. It's really good. Oh, Check yeah. that out. Yeah. Uh, Diana is an academic, uh, a teacher for how long? 10 years, 12 years? Uh, I think about 15, maybe something like that. Yeah. Okay. So she's a recent winner of the Fulbright Distinguished Award in Teaching Research. I don't know how how this works. Does that make you a Fulbright scholar? Is that what we're... Yes, it does. Uh, I think so. I don't know. There's there's all these different subsets. <laughs> it makes me distinguished a... in the name. Yeah. And you're currently I was a in distinguished chair. That's what I was. Maybe that's what you are. Oh. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm just plain distinguished. <laughs> um, so I, I don't actually know. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in Morocco uh, doing the research, and it's been marvelous. Yeah. Is your research something that you can talk about? Yeah, but it would be very boring. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm researching uh, what's called um, soft skills in Morocco. Uh, they're, they're the skills that aren't taught directly usually, but which are necessary for success in college and career, like, you know, being able to work with groups, being able to work under time pressure, the, the kind of real world skills that you need that aren't that aren't necessarily taught. Uh, and and yeah. they're ha and basically I'm looking at how that's how or and if it's taught in Morocco versus America. That's all. Yeah. So it's cool. not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting to me. Just necessary. Just exciting. necessary. Yeah. Pragmatic. Yeah. 
you underestimate our level of being able to be interested in boring things. That's true. I, I, I get very geeky about a lot of things, too. Yeah. <laughs> and let's see, uh, Diana, you discovered Gene Wolfe, I think you said less than five years ago. Is that right? About right? Oh, yeah. Oh, but, certainly less, maybe three or something like wow. that. I don't remember. But, uh, but Diana has tucked away a tremendous number of wolf stories in a very short time at a pace that was you know, really surprising for me. And now uh, Diana okay. is one of the moderators of the Gene Wolf Appreciation Society Facebook group. So what we had wanted to do was we were we're up to the Jalenta chapter in our read through and James and I were talking about how, at least in podcast world and also in stuff that's been written, basically, except for Joan's book, um, it's all guys sitting around talking about Jalenta. So we thought, why not <laughs> change that? <laughs> and so that's kind of our purpose today, just to get a variety of different reactions to that chapter and her character. Um, anytime it comes up, this is definitely one lately that seems to cause a lot of arguments and it always spins off in crazy directions anytime Jalenta comes up. So uh, I don't think, I think we're cordial enough. We're not going to spin off in too many <laughs> angry directions here, I hope. And I don't know the best way to move into this discussion. So uh, it's a good thing that we have, you know, two teachers uh, taking this on because, <laughs> you know, that is, I would guess, one of your specialties, how to systematically approach a, a confusing subject. So I think our idea is we're going to get out of the way and we'll only jump in if you women need us to explain some of the finer points. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that'll occur. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 call, we, we call that woman-splaining. So, and, uh... Well, maybe I, could, maybe I could point out, I've been trying to figure out why your discussion has been so manly. <laughs> and... I don't know. I don't know if this is true with you, Diana. What struck me is that the discussion has been very much this sort of exegesis, the sources for all the illusions, um, searching for the truth in little, in small doses, sort of like if you were a Talmudic scholar and you would pour over the Torah and you would try to find out, you know, what everything really meant, what everything really stood for, what everything really came from. And I know that I'm more interested in sort of overarching things, themes that I see, uh, multiple truths, and all that other stuff is very helpful to find that but I can only spend so much time with it. I don't think it's a feminine versus masculine thing, personally. Um, I hope so, but... But, I don't, you know, that's, just, that's my opinion. But I can't remember where it is, but um, Severian talks, has a key passage where he talks about, um, and I think it's, Dor no, Dorcas says uh, the, the, the three ways that things are seen, the three yes. levels, the literal, uh, real level, uh, whatever it is. It's, like, it's kind of like literal... If anyone remembers the quote, I can probably yeah, come up with it because I think uh, that's a very key passage because it is how the book itself can be interpreted on all three levels. Um, and if you care to focus on what what actually happens and look at character motivation and, um, you know, uh, the you know, the physical journey, um, themes themes that might be conveyed by the characters and their personalities that's a totally and completely legitimate way of looking at it um but it also has it also has a metaphorical level and a symbolic level that i think are equally um valid to the book and to at least to to wolf's vision of the book um and it, and by the way those three levels also uh, you brought up the Talmud. They're actually very Kabbalistic. This book has a lot of Kabbalah in it, uh, and it has a lot uh, um, of of that that triune thing where it's you know the, the the real, the physical, the spiritual, and the um, mystical. I think is how you would say it. Because um, somewhere in my book, I compared it to quadruplex allegory. So I know somewhere in here I quoted that. <laughs> But now, of okay. Course, I'm sorry. I, I I I had it, and then I just had, I was looking for it, and then I got waylaid because I I was trying to download this 
say it and it didn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but um, what I'm trying to say though, is, is I think this is a very deliberate, I think it's a very deliberate um, intention of Wolf to have those three levels and you can choose to look at one level or another level. I don't think it's accurate to say only one level is the only way to look at it. You're not saying that. I didn't mean you were, but I'm saying for those of people, if anyone does that and says, well, the only way to read this is, is by looking at, you know, very detailed colors of schemes and symbols of that. That's only then you're going to be, you're, you're going to be shortchanging yourself in your interpretation of, of the book because it's not operating only on that level. But in the same way, when you look at Jolenta, you, you do have to look at all three levels. You can't just look at, you really do have to look at all the levels and say, what is, what, what's happening on a physical level? What's happening on a, a um, kind of like a Jungian, to use a short-term level? Uh, kind of what's I happening found on a... Great. Okay. And in fact, where, what I was thinking about is back in Shadow of the Torturer, and it is Dorcas and Severian, and they're discussing the Brown Book. And one key claims that everything, whatever happens, um, has three meanings. The first is the practical meaning, what the book calls the thing the plowman sees. The second is the reflection of the world about it. That might be called the soothsayer's meaning because it is the one that such, such people use when they prophesy a fortunate meeting from tracks of serpents. The third is a transubstantial meaning, since all objects have their ultimate origin in the pan creator and all were set in motion by him, so all must express his will, which is the higher reality. So our world, Severian's memoir, Wolf's, this is now me, and Wolf's fiction all demand such threefold interpretation. Right. right. And, and so what I set, call the literal meaning, a metaphorical one and an analogical one. And finally, sort of um, an anagogical one. So, so you're always playing that game in Gene Wolfe. But um, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Right. You have to be careful about that. That's what I was saying, like with one... If you, you, know, you can, but if you focus <laughs> too much on the trees, then you're not going to see the forest... And the forest is equally as important as the trees. Right. Uh, all three levels are important. They're very, um, wh what he's doing is very interesting because it is, it's very Kabbalistic, the, the, yeah. those three levels. Um, and obviously very, you know, it, you can, with the triune nature of God as well, with, with Christianity. I mean, you can really um, do a kind of do a lot with it. Um, so I, I agree with you that, um, just looking at what's going on, like as if you have a micro, a microscope and you're Sherlock Holmes and you're looking for individual clues, you're not going to really, you're only going to see some of what's going on. Um, so I guess back to what this, the original point, the original chapter talking about Jolenta, yes. you have to look at that if you want, I mean, you don't have to, but it's, it's best if you look at it through all three lenses, let's put it that way. Yeah. So, so maybe now look at Jolenta. Yeah. So somewhere somebody was, was one of our original questions is, is it sexist or is what is Gene Wolfe sexist is Severian sexist, that sort of thing. That's what usually comes up. Like whenever this gets discussed online somewhere, it usually quickly follows into, okay, well, is, does this mean that Severian is a sexist person or is Wolf a sexist person? Maybe we could start just with how you guys take the chapter. I mean, like, like, what is it describing is, I mean, I guess the basic question here would be like, is Severian, is does Severian rape Jolenta or is well, something else going on? All right, you go ahead and then I'll go. Well, I'll go I was on. just going to say, by the time you get earth to earth of the new sun, he says something like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was like some people might think yeah maybe yeah. but i, I but i thought that that she wanted to, <laughs> to and i still do he said which is kind yeah, of you know i think this they is all a, say but yeah but this is one of the signs to me that i think that this of all chapters wolf would get asked about at every convention i believe because 
it is unique in that Wolf has a character who speaks back to the critics. You know, mm. he's he actually turns and looks at the fourth wall and answers them to some extent. Well, well, you know, what I had thought about this way back when I wrote the book was that um, Severian's first experience with a woman really is Thecla. He knows from nothing about women. So there's that. Right. And he's been trained in violence. So he may remember everything, but he is not to a point in um, the claw where he is as self-aware as he might be, shall we say. But I, I, you know, Gene was an old fashioned guy in many ways, I think. He was courtly and gentlemanly and all of that, all the good things. Um, and he loved archetypes. So, you know, he's not going to read like an ultra feminist, but he's certainly not anti-women, which seems to be the next thing you might assume, I guess, if you're having fights. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. The, the word misogynist does come up a lot. Right, and I don't well, think I, it is. Well, I, I actually think it's not even a valid question. I mean, it's a question, sure. Um, but I think the very asking of the question misinterprets the book. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Um, he's, he, Severian is, it, it, part of Severian's journey is from like it, it, the Jungian and the spiritual uh, and the character's journey is from somebody who literally tortures people yes. in, literally in a dungeon, literally tortures people with in a very twisted, very dark environment with all men who are all warped um, and who's, who are ripped from their mother's wombs, basically. And um, only know women through, you know, whores, basically like uh, cloned whores. They're all really broken men. Yes. And Aaron is taken from that. And um, back to what you were saying about, um, you know, his, his innocence. And I, I think I had mentioned this in my other interview, you know, how Dorcas, when, when, when Dorcas and Severian approached Talus for the first time, he says, ah, innocence and death. Yes. And we all assume who's who. Who's who. And honestly, Severian is every bit as innocent and Dorcas is every bit as death yes. as, as, yes. as the reverse. And, but Severian has to go on a journey in which he, you know, as, as a, as a Jesus-like figure, um, he has to go through a journey where he kind of, and a Jungian journey where he embraces his shadow. I mean, the book, the first book is called the shadow of the torturer. And he has to, he has to face his shadows and incorporate those shadows. A lot of the women are classic shadows, Jungian shadows. And the fact that they're women is significant because the shadows are usually the usual, the opposite gender. Um, and so like, um, there's many sins. I, what the problem I see is that in our culture right now, the assumption is that rape is an unforgivable sin, but, but cannibalism, torture, and murder is okay and not unforgivable. So <laughs> I, I, I find, I find that illogical. Um, I, I yeah. don't, um, th that is the core assumption. So the, like the, the, you know, oh, is Wolf a sexist? Not like it, 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 there's several leaps of logic here. The, the one is like only rape is unforgivable, nothing else. Um, like, like I say, he's, this is a man who's tortured people to death, caused them horrible suffering. Okay. And, and has grown up this way. Um, and has just participated in that cannibalistic, disgusting, you know, kind of what reverse Eucharist thing, demon like Eucharist thing. So he's already committing a lot of sins and has committed sins. So I don't, I mean, I, I think this is a very intentional that he's committing a sin. Like, I don't, I don't see why that why we're supposed to think that this is a good thing that Sumerian does it's not absolutely agree is what I was going to say yeah, that just be, but what I'm saying is I want to get away from the idea that if a character does or doesn't rape the per, a person that is the be-all and end-all and there is no other measurement 
they can murder, they can torture, they can do what they want. And that's okay. We can understand them as a person, but God forbid they should rape somebody. And I do speak as a rape victim, by the way, I'm not being light about this. I, I myself was raped. So it's not like I, I it's not like I, I, I have a firsthand experience in this. Like, I just want to make that clear in case I, I come across as flippant. I'm not being flippant. I think the point is that it is one of the, it's lust, and he talks about it a great deal, is one of the seven deadly sins. And this is something that he really has to incorporate, which he does in this, he does in the next few chapters where he, Severian, talks about his separation of lust and love. And there are several key lines in the, in the chapters where he talks about that, where when after this chapter where kind of Jolenta is kind of melting, uh, like wax and she's losing all her looks. Uh, Severian sa says, no desire is not love. I love her even more now. He, he says that. Uh, so he's learning to like, he's evolving as a character is my point. So and, and in terms of unpardonable sins, I, I love Hawthorne. So for me, the unpardonable sin is Talos's. Yes, I agree. Right? Because Talos yes, treats her like an object. Exactly. And I was just I think it's an ancient brand that the unpardonable sin is basically violating in cold blood the human heart. Yes, I that's so I'm so glad you brought that up because it's I was rereading the next these these chapters before in preparation for this discussion, and that jumped out at me. That was a thing that tore her heart. Jolenta. Yes. Yeah. It's like two chapters after the Jolenta chapter. And he disposes of her as an object, not as a human being. Um, and that devastates Jolenta. I mean, she's like, it's horrible. In the That's, chapter before he, yeah. In the chapter before, after the stuff about innocence and death. Um, oh, mm -hmm. And I think that it's, and it's Dorcas who says, people don't want other people to be people. They throw names over them and lock them yeah. in. I don't want to let them lock you in. Dr. Talos is worse than most. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's important. What he does. He builds her into an object designed to be raped. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's all she is to him. He has just finished beating her. Yeah, and they walk he away wants from her to and... manipulate everything he comes upon. Well, it's implied that she needs him in order to maintain her um, her appearance. Yes, um, because she she even says, I, "I'm lost." Like once they leave, Talos and Baldanders leave, and she goes on the path with Severian and Dorcas the other way. She's like, it, basically, she says, I, I don't think that quote, but she basically says it's only a matter of time now. The yeah, implication yeah. that he's doing something to her, kind of maintaining her to keep up this artificial kind of beauty. And now she, now he leaves and she knows she's lost. Um, right, but like she, was, she was ruined by being turned into this in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I find her character... I think the mistake a lot of people make is they assume that because Talos treats her as an object, she is an object, but she's, right. I don't, she's not an object at all. To me, she has the, one of the most tragic storylines in the book. Yes. And I find it, I mean, she basically makes a series of deals with the devil and it's a kind of metaphor for what, of, of what happens if you embrace the fem the feminine gaze, the female gaze, if you, if you, uh -huh. if you agree with that deal. And if you say, fine, look at me, I'm going to be that, that person. I want to be the, um, the object. But um, I don't I know like that she ever said she wanted that exactly. Did she? Well, it's implied because she is, I mean, it's implied that she is originally uh, that waitress person. Right. And, that she looks entirely different. But and the she asked to have this transformation. I can't remember that. I think she does. Um, but again, please don't quote me. I don't, I, I don't, I, my memory is that she does. So I don't know. But yeah, I, I know that she doesn't say she's unhappy with it. Yeah. She's not like, when she, when, when she talks about herself um, before the play, she doesn't, she never says, I hate this body. I, I wish I was something different. She comes across as very, very happy with herself. And her goal that she says is to 
basically ensnare the autark and thereby become the most powerful person because she would be controlling the autark who himself controls the world. And ironically, she does ensnare the autark because it's Severian, but she doesn't know that. She, she's one of these people who gets what she wishes for, you know, be careful what you wish for, because then you might get it. She's kind of like embodies that. So she, she gets the autark, only it's Severian. It's the horrible downside about being a feminine object is that you are an object. And she, she is ultimately disposed of like an object. Um, and I do believe that she agreed. She, didn't, she certainly never said, I hate that I can't walk. She, she kind of like calling it to attention. She seems happy with her beauty, her, her kind of aphrodisiacal beauty. Uh, you know, I'm looking at, um, now we're into the Jolenta chapter and it's page 204 in my book. Um, Jolenta and I were of less value. Right. Um, and, you know, she was, and, and talks about, her legs being inadequate to bear much weight, her jutting breasts in constant danger of having their nipples crushed. And, you know, later on her thighs are so, you know, big that she can only have her legs apart, sort of designed to be raped. She had only yeah, herself right. the incessant performance whose sole goal was to garner admiration. And, um, you know, we only know all this through Severian, so I'm not sure we know how happy she is with well, he never her position. Right. He never records, and like it's possible that he's only recording the things that are positive, but we have to go with what he is recording. And the only way we can judge her, because we never go into her point of view, is through her words. And she never once complains about the state that she's in. It's always bragging about it, like with satisfaction. Men and women equally um, desire her. Um, and, she, you know, she says, yeah, my, le my legs, my thighs chafe. Uh, and, and again, of course, we we're being filtered through Severian, so we don't know. But the, the evidence that you have is that she never once complains. She never says like a like a woman, like, I would say I would I would hate not being able to walk like that would be something I would definitely bitch about. <laughs> I would definitely be saying I can't stand that I can't walk, um, you know, uh, but she doesn't say it. She, she's just, you know, and, and she, she may not. And she, you know, this may be the success of the manipulation. Right, um, exactly. But that's what I'm trying to say, that, like that she makes a deal with the devil, basically. Yes. I mean, she's still a pitiful figure for sure. Oh, I think she's a tragic figure. Yes. I think she makes a decision to embrace. This is what happens when you decide to fully embrace the being the object of the male gaze is that this is you're ruined as a human being. Honestly, to me, if you want to talk feminism, it's actually to me, I read it as very feminist. I read it as it shows the dangers, the horrible dangers of acquiescing to that embodiment of what male lust and mm -hmm. being that kind of thinking that you can therefore manipulate, you know, through your, through your magical feminine powers, you can manipulate men to do your bidding. And she kind of personifies the um, Venus in the flesh um, only, you know, like only with all the inconveniences um, and, and, and he kind of goes with that and says, well, this is what would happen. It's, it's terrible actually, because then she's an object and she no longer becomes a human being. And she, and Wolf follows her as she goes through the path of basically disintegrating and dying. Um, I, I just, I did find it tragic. And I also think you're absolutely right to really point out the, the Talos actions are really the, that to me is unforgivable what he did. Yes. If that's unforgivable. Like, and, because and it's that's just what he wants to do with everybody. Exactly. Of course, and then there's he, ball dance. He's a homunculus, so he doesn't have a soul. So he, we don't know that now, but right. that's <laughs> it. So that's what someone without a soul does is they use people as objects. I mean, if you do, want to look at it. And he's kind of being, and he is an object. And he himself is an object. So he doesn't even understand. Yeah. He has no soul. It's kind of a horror tale. You know how the, um, 
the wide sargassum sea is that what it was called was done sure, through the gene rays yeah it was mm-hmm. done to the mm-hmm. reese's point of view you could definitely whoever's listening you could definitely make <laughs> something out of jolenta's point of view you can make a whole yes. definitely i have no hesitation about this you can make a really good novel through jolenta's point of view because it's a really i think a very powerful tragic arc and and I, I do want to emphasize that everything we hear is from Severian's viewpoint, and he may have an infallible memory, but it isn't really. <laughs> it isn't you know, or he conscious or yeah. this or that. So many right. things question that, but he is also not very far along on this journey, as you put it. Yeah, so exactly. His, so his, right. his angle simple. is questionable. Yeah. Uh, speaking of questionable, I, I am still fascinated by what actually does happen with Jolenta because I've reread the scene. This is a couple chapters after this Jolenta chapter where Severian meets the um, Undine. And then when he comes back, oh. so he's, he leaves the two women alone. And when he comes back, um, Dorcas says that Jolenta... Uh, must have been bitten and maybe by a, by a bat. She has two slashes on her wrist uh, that are as large as, as Severian's thumb. And she's bled out. Um, and then she actually dies, if you remember, at the end of this, of this book. Um, again, she's alone with the Dorcas when she dies. Um, and the, the witches have said that she's gonna, they can cure her, um, but then she dies. So I always have wondered if if Dorcas has taken revenge uh, (laughs) and, um, you know, because in the play, that's exactly what Dorcas's um, alternate does. She tries to hunt down um, Jolenta and tries to hurt her. Jolenta's alternate in the play. So, you know, Dorcas comes. She's not really innocence. Let's put it that way. No, Um, no. There is also the suggestion at one point where uh, Severian makes it sound like Dorcas and Jolenta had an affair before he showed back up. And, and right, and and, and I read I read it again with that in mind because it was put it was mentioned later on. Um, but yeah, I mean it is implied. It really is because she boasts very openly that any woman around her wants to protect her and help her. All women, they can't help it. And and then she's been with she's been with Dorcas all this time. So I you know the implication is certainly that it's not impossible. Let's put it that way. Um, I do think I do think jealousy and revenge are, are, are part, part to explain Severian's actions, um, but also Dorcas's. And in that way, I also think Jalen's is another, another part of her tragic victimhood. Um, but yeah. it doesn't seem likely that it is a bat because later on in the third or fourth book, he, he's actually bitten by a bat, one of those bats. And the injury is entirely different. It's not the same at all. Uh, he deep wolf details the injury and it's a completely different type of injury than what Jolenta has. So I always have wondered if Dorcas did that or if Jolenta tried to kill herself. Well, I don't know. See, that's what I'm, I kind of suspect. The two flashes. Yeah. Yeah. That it's a suicide attempt. But that's right. So whoever was writing this about, about Jolenta. <laughs> yeah. In, whatever you want to call it. Um, would would decide that, um, but it could be a suicide attempt for sure, especially because there are two slashes on her wrists, which is right. a very suicide. That's just getting the big veins. Yeah, it's classic. Um, and then she also would that interpretation would fit into why Severian's claw doesn't work on her because she doesn't want to be right healed. She's done with life. Well, um, she's done. She's she's been empty, yeah, for a long time. Sure, I mean she could have been empty when she was a waitress, and thought this would be the this would be how she would you know, if only she was beautiful and could lure any man that she that came across her path, then she would you know then life would be good. Then she would get, be the most powerful person in the world, and then this is what happens to her. Yeah. Um, that's why I, I that's why I was back to what I was saying. I actually find it in part a very feminist, not anti-feminist as far as whether he raped her or not. I, I, I mean, obvi- by definition, because she was unconscious, 
he, he raped her because yeah. she was unconscious. So it's by definition, he raped her. And, so, and in Earth, it's something like, I, you know, I wish here, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know, a lot of people claim stuff like that. But <laughs> um, well, one place is I've been far too ready to abandon women who have had a claim on my loyalty. <laughs> and then as I contemplated them and the few that came before them, it seemed to me that my acts toward women had depended not upon my will, but upon their attitude toward me. I had been mm. brutal enough with Thecla, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, fevered at first with Dorcas, quick and clumsy with Jolenta. Oh, here it is, whom I might have been said to have raped, though I uh, yeah. and, and believe still that she wished it. Well, Where is isn't that? it pretty to think so, it says at the end of the sun also rises. <laughs> okay, so, um, I mean, like I said, by definition, uh, yes, she made it very clear that she wants, like, she is basically sleeping with whoever she wants to sleep with, but she was a, she was unconscious, so therefore it's rape. That's kind of, it's kind of like, yes, he raped her, but I don't see... My, my, my butt is that the idea, the fundamental idea that rape is some sort of an unforgivable sin, whereas murder, torture, et cetera, et cetera, is not. And I just don't agree with that. I, I think it's, he does it on purpose. Like, it's like saying, does Wolf make a character who is sinful? Yes, 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 Severian is sinful. That's the entire point. And, and lust is one of the seven deadly sins. He has to go through that as part of his growth. He is not a perfect character by any stretch of the imagination. That's why he needs to redeem himself. That's why he he works so hard. He's never perfect. And that's right. the other point. As a son of God, he's never perfect. He, he never is. Like he, he eventually has to become it from grace, which is just, you know, like it's a very Catholic, the Catholic point of view. Well, so, what do you know? Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> I think what the problem is, the sticking point is the assumption that um, our current cultural values are universal values that apply to everything. And I just don't agree with that. I don't, I'm, I'm obviously I'm not saying rape is good at all. Not at all. Obviously I'm saying it, it it's, it's a sin that's terrible. Of course, there's a difference between raping someone who's asleep and beating somebody, you know, up and you knew like, you know, taking God forbid a 12 year old and doing something with them. God forbid, you know, those are, there's degrees, but he still raped her. She was unconscious. So yes, you know, he raped her, but that doesn't and, mean- And there's also a difference between wanting to be desired as she is yes. and yes. wanting to be a sex toy. Exactly, wanting to be desired and, and wanting to, people to rape, to have sex with you while you're fast asleep. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like one can't assume those two things are the same, but I don't see why you have to shy away with it from it. Like that's, it, is it simple? Yes, it's simple. That's his whole point. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, it is. He knows bad. nothing about women at this point. No, he's not. And he's like, he comes out, he is innocence and Dorcas is death in many, many ways. If you think about him as an actual character, he, he's grown up with all men, all of whom are twisted, none of whom have loving, normal relationships with wives and children. And um, only sees women to torture them or to, as prostitutes. That's it. So like um, he's already damaged and he has to work through that damage in order to incorporate himself. And that's the Jungian journey as well. So my, I guess what I'm saying is, yes, it's rape. No, that doesn't make it Severian unforgivable and, and Gene Wolfe um, somehow condoning rape. Oh, I mean, that's oh, certainly that? not. I think the the underlying to articulate what I think is the criticism is that he's flippantly describing rape in a hero when because oh. of fantasy you know, versions of men violate women and so he's kind of flippant about it. And I think the opposite is the truth. I mean, I don't. Oh, think absolutely. So I do think that he has he describes women in very archetypal ways. Right. Um, I, and I also think about how protective he always was of Rosemary. Mm. And so I don't think he necessarily wants the new woman, whatever that might be, but that he is loving and humane about women. I don't think you can have a question. 
Exactly. I mean, Severian himself is an archetype as well. Sure. Um, He's so everybody as an archetype. Everybody, like that's part, that's part of getting back to uh, what I mentioned in the beginning. That's part of the layered way that you approach this thing because really everybody is an archetype. And so, you know, that part where Jolenta is the part of Severian that's the, you know, the, the violent, lustful part that is bad, is sinful and wrong, you know, we treats other people not as human and that's wrong. And he must learn through that. He must learn to treat people as people and he must learn to incorporate his desire, sexuality and love and incorporate it in a healthy way because of, because of his beginning in, in, in the torturers, you know, with the torturers. So that viewed as a Jungian way is also very appropriate. And it's not like, I don't believe that Wolf was taking this lightly one iota. I think, I, I think the contrary. Um, well, but you know, I'm just I, wondering, I, is anybody claiming that? I, a bunch I of people it. online, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, okay, sorry. Maybe I don't but, want to get too involved. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to follow up on that idea you were talking about, especially with the Jungian side, with Jolenta's further arc, because of what happens to her after that chapter and how she eventually, of course, dies. She First of all, she it seems like she really wants Talos to pay attention to her, and then Talos just leaves her. And that's when she falls into her despair and then ultimately either dies or either is possibly murdered by Dorcas or just commits suicide. Um, but how do you take her arc? Uh, the, I had spoken about that as the, like a tragic arc where she ultimately you know, be careful what you wish for, but she's the, the feminine gaze personified and the mm -hmm. dangers they in. Um, you know, where she, she forgot to treat her own soul and think about her own mm. soul. And so she's destroyed because of that, um, because of the temptation of, of the outward power of women, the sexual power. Mm. And she, she gave into that temptation um, with that, you know, she gave, she agreed with Talos. I, I do think it's pretty obvious when you read it that she has to be actively maintained by Talos. Yes. And this, when he leaves, she knows she's going to die or fall apart. It seems pretty clear. So, and she does start to fall apart. And I, that's where the suicide possibly comes in, suicide attempt. But what, you, what were you thinking, Joan? What were you thinking about her arc? Well, that, that I mean, for me, well, gosh, we see women who have been made into objects like this. And, you know, I mean, think Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But that's, that's so that's so important to notice that. I think. But, but Marilyn Monroe wasn't empty. She was mm -hmm. treated as if she were empty, but she wasn't. Mm -hmm. right, and, not at all. Um, so, you know, that made her a tragic suicidal figure. She so, is. There is I, a lot of Marilyn Monroe in this. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, that this works on the practical level and the metaphorical level mm -hmm. and the transubstantial level. I mean, yeah, well, are we getting down to Mary Magdalene or yeah, whatever? It, it, sure. Or the so, trying um, it's an absolutely tragic and sympathetic figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I, I don't even, it's possible that he even had Marilyn Monroe in mind when sketching Jolenta because it's the same thing. Marilyn Monroe herself had admit was miserable. Yeah. Um, was also quite intelligent. Um, and also had a good heart. Like it's famous what she, what, um, her sticking her neck out for, um, elephant. No, um, Ella Fitzgerald, Ella Fitzgerald. Was it yes. Ella Fitzgerald. It was not yes. the Ella, Ella Fitzgerald. She, at the time there was a lot of racism and, uh, Ella Fitzgerald had a decent career, but, uh, there was a club that she, that was very prestigious that she wasn't able to get a booking for. And Marilyn Monroe said, I'll sit in the front, talk to the owner and said, if I sit in the front row for three days, will you play Ella? Uh, and she knew he would agree because it was instant press for him. So he agreed. And then that was what catapulted Ella Fitzgerald to the next league. So she just, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that's an illustration of somebody who was a little bit ahead of her time, 
who did, or at least who who had integrity, personal integrity, um, and but never was wasn't, treated for the, with well, that. Was, exactly, but was treated completely like an object, um, and also molded her body too. I mean, she had a lot of plastic surgery on her face and was a miserable person by all accounts, and eventually committed suicide. And she, and I, I do. And Kardashians do all that and seem quite happy. <laughs> Who knows what they really feel like inside, though? Oh, but yes. they're a mystery. <laughs> to me. They are me too. But um, but if you think of someone like Marilyn Monroe, she is definitely a tragic figure. Um, and I think people who it's it's the very act that they of, of somebody treating her her or Jalenta like a sex object that takes away their humanity and their tragic arc, um, because the tragic arc must come from their humanity. Uh, if it's, it has to be part of their own choices. If, it, if they're a victim entirely, then they can't have a tragic arc. It has to be something that they've actively decided as human beings with human dignity. And so I think that's just, that's true of Marilyn Monroe, and I think that's true of Jolenta. Somehow I need to come back to the Hawthorne thing, because mm -hmm. in the Scarlet Letter, you know, there is Chillingsworth, who is a Dr. Talos yeah. figure. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't do that to um, Hester. She doesn't allow it. She's too strong. He So he do, has to do it to Dimsdale, that idiot. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, that's a good one. I didn't, I didn't think about that analogy, but that's, I think. Well, and, and of course, there. I doubt that you don't see Hawthorne in Jean's stuff. So I think it's me. But as I would say to students, once the book leaves your hands, if you can find the support in the book and there's nothing in the book that um, denies it, it's a legitimate theory. So, absolutely. And who knows? I mean, somebody, I mean, he could be putting it in subconsciously as well. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. But if right. you can make, you can get support for it, then you can get support for it. So, that's that. So, and, and one of the things I love about Gene is how ambiguous um, yeah. things are or at least multiple things are. So that the One answer is often, here are three different theories and the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I love the ambiguity and I love the fact, I, one of the reasons that this, the, the book of the new sun cycle, the, well, the whole, is my, one of my favorites is because it works so well on all three levels. Some of his later work, while still always brilliant because it's Gene Wolfe, I think actually works less well because it works better on a, a metaphorical, not on the physical level as well. Till you get to the, you, sometimes you don't even know what's going on in some of the later, the very late ones. Um, and also, the, he, he, he gets rid of the beauty. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's more. And that's bad. Yeah, per, for me, it becomes. I don't. I lose interest in it. Like Land Across is an example of that. Right. Where you Where's have like. Beauty? Uh, on, on that level, like you don't know what's actually, it's very hard to tell what actually is going on. If, to answer the question that's originally asked here, yes, she was raped. What is he trying to say about gender, sexuality, and power? He's not really only talking about gender, sexuality, and power. He's talking about sin and redemption and tragedy and, I don't know, universal themes for both yes. men and women. And it's, and it's also, you know, this is his coming of age. These four volumes are his coming of age. Mm -hmm. it, an unusually active summer. I forget what the wry remark was. <laughs> summer unusually something or another. But, you know, that's what it is. The four volumes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you don't totally come of age over the summer. I have a, do have a question, you, Diana. You you you've mentioned, yeah. By definition, she's raped. Is she raped by design? Is she designed to, to be inert when she's desirable? Does she? Does she oh, do you she, mean? Yeah, because she she does. She basically becomes comatose in the book, and there it's the variant offers some suggestions, which to me, right? Uh, when when he offers suggestions for what the cause is, I always say, okay, we can scratch those off the list. Well, I don't know if it's, is it, is it relevant? I mean, we don't know, like the point is 
she is comatose. That's the point. Yeah. As why she's comatose, I don't think we can know entirely. Um, it could be any number of reasons. Was that like part of her comatose. tragic arc? Is that it could be? It, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's something like there's not enough information about that as far as that's whether a, that's she a fact. Yeah. She does say she needs four sessions of sleep before the play or something like that. So she does basically say she needs a lot of sleep. So it is implied um, that she needs more rest and more sleep than ordinary mortals to -hmm. maintain her beauty. That's implied. So as far as whether the the comatose-like sleep is part of that, I do not know. But from Severian's perspective, it's a very basic rule that all men and women know, and that is if somebody is comatose, they can't give consent. So, I mean, that's just a fact. Right. Like, uh, sure. no, you, so therefore it's rape. Like, and there's it's no, also a flight mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, it is a flight mechanism just to freeze, kind of a, an ultimate freeze. You I'm know, not just, here. <laughs> I'm not here. It's not happening. I'm not here. Uh, it's it's impossible. To, like, this is where it'd be really cool to have a book from Jolenta's point of view, because an, an imaginative author could decide what what actually is going on and what her choices are and what her you know what she is thinking i think it's deliberately uh left ambiguous yeah, um, yeah. you know we have a main wolf yeah we have a, craig, craig and i have already talked about this book this chapter for an hour and a half and that was one of the things about the end of this chapter that is a little frustrating that we we get the event from Talus's perspective, we get the event from Baldander's and Dorcas's perspective. Severian is obviously telling the story. We get nothing from Jalenta's perspective about her reaction to you know what has happened. Right. Well, how 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 would if Severian included her perspective, he would have to admit things about himself that he would not be willing to admit. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's deliberate. Just like he never talks about Valeria, he almost never talks about her. Um, and I, I, I think it's, but she's his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, there's both, there's privacy aspects, but also I think he doesn't want to reveal things about him. There's certain things he doesn't want to reveal. Like the scene before when, 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 Dorcas's face is slashed and, he, and there's a gap in the narrative while they're by the gate, by the, um, the wall mm-hmm. um, before this. The end of Shadow of the Torture, yeah. Yeah, and there's a gap in the narrative. I, I believe the gap is because Severian goes bonkers and doesn't want to describe what he did. I think, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing he killed people um, in revenge. He doesn't want to describe- there's certainly a gap where the sex would have taken place. There are three little There's a gap as well. Exactly. Yeah. And, he, and he lets it trickle out afterwards. At first, he leaves out the, the actual first sex act and you, and you assume it just won. And then he mentions he did it over and over. And then he mentioned like he, he keeps on adding information as it goes, which is pretty par for the course for Severian. But I do think it's exactly the point. I think it's deliberate that Wolf omits, um, has Severian omit Dolenta's point of view. Yeah, I think that is done on purpose. I think that is uh, what you were saying, uh, Joan. Is, is his? He doesn't want to talk about it because then, if he do, if he does do her point of view, he humanizes her and 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 he doesn't want to admit how wrong he was. <laughs> like <laughs> it, like it's very uncomfortable and terrible for him. I think he knows, but I don't think he wants to admit it. As the torturer, he is supposed to be punishing those who sin, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. And he does come up with that. There is that point where he talks about how disgusted he was by Jalenta because she desired to be desirable. And, and this makes him very angry. And then that's when he talks about, he actually comes right out and says, I wanted to punish her. I wanted to be cruel to her. And Exactly. Um, and then yeah. if you notice that, right. Um, and I, I, the first time I read it, that stuck out at me more. But um, when I read, reread it, his movement is from rage and disgust to pity and love. Um, and, and after he, he makes a point of saying that he loves her after when she's falling apart and becoming ugly, he, it, he literally says, I, I realize I love her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that's very significant, um, because it's, he's learning to separate, you know, he, he's messed up. I mean, if, he, <laughs> if you view this even on a regular now, if, if you view it as a regular level, he's like, think about it, think about him as an actual person. 
and 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 his childhood and and this is a coming of age story what he must leave you know he's not he's not a carpenter he's a torturer it's way harder <laughs> like although gene points out that the only thing we know jesus made was a whip yeah <laughs> yeah i think i read that <laughs> it's true my general thing about gene wolf is how important um, the archive and memory are. Mm. And they are, you know, as we think about Jolenta and who is telling her story and remembering it and how it is archived in this story of an unusually active summer, we're watching him try to figure out what he really did and what it really means and what that says about him. And he backs off a lot through the four books, I think, on what it really means about him. Mm. So I think once he ingests the, or the autark and then becomes a multitude of people, countless people, and then you add the fact that he has the memory, uh, it becomes almost too big of a, a thing to even talk about. I think he refers to it a few times, but he talks about it at one, uh, almost as a devil at one point, I think, his memory. Definitely that it oppresses him. He's oppressed by it, yeah. He is oppressed by it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, you asked, so it wouldn't be great to have a, a story from Jillian's point of view. I think actually Wolf did that, uh, unfortunately. Um, well, okay. fortunately or unfortunately, we don't get this the scene from this chapter, but I do think uh, an evil guest is the story from oh, Jolenta's point of view. Okay, no I won't say. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I actually had bought it, and um, I thought I packed it. I'm here for six months in Morocco, and I thought I had packed it, and I didn't. No Amazon Morocco. No, there is no Amazon Morocco. Nope, there is not. Um, it's actually dicey to get anything by mail. It's waiting for me at home. So, yeah, no spoilers. But that's really right. intriguing. I'll, I'll actually, when I read that, I will think of that, what you just said, your insight. I know. I, I, I think, yeah, it's Jolenta, uh, Talos, Typhon, oh, cool. I think. Um, yeah. Okay. Huh, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. And making it's it in my mind, it not being one of my favorites. Now I have another layer to approach yeah. it with. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, this was great. great. So thank you guys so much. That has actually been uh, enlightening in from a few different directions, I think. So thank you I for having so much. I love I love the opportunity to um, hash out these ideas. And Joan, I really appreciated very much um, the you know interplay of our ideas. And yeah, that was your, really good. Insights. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, this was so exciting. I've been looking forward to this, and um, all I just my say hopes for Matt. I just want to say thank you guys for both piping up and talking to each other. Sometimes when we do this, people are, will like answer one thing and then wait for Stay the next quiet. question. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are awesome. I don't know. Thank you very much. Thank you. She might my day. She just letting it all hang out. She's a big house. Like me to stay, and that's a fact. She ain't holding nothing back. Oh, she's a big house. She's together, everybody knows, and this is how the story goes. She knows she's got everything that a woman needs just to get a man. How could she lose with the stuff she used? Thirty-six, a twenty-four, thirty-six. Huh? What I wanna have? She's a big house. She might in my day. She just letting it all hang out. She's a big house. That lady stack, and that's a fact. She ain't holding nothing back. Shake it down, shake it down, down. Shake it down, shake it down, down. Shake it down, shake it down, down. Shake it down, shake it down, down.
Shake it down, shake it down, down. Shake it down, shake it down, down. Shake it down, shake it down, down. together <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> i am the manatee so yeah. are you able to knit while you're talking that's pretty amazing. i am <laughs> it's very simple knitting oh yeah yeah oh you gotta close okay here's how here's how we close if you guys could say together you could say may until we meet again may the moira favor you <laughs> I don't know that I want to say that. <laughs> I, I won't say that either. <laughs> wow. I mean, so... that, shit's, that shit's creep. <laughs> <laughs>